Good morning and welcome to Talk Clarity. I'm your host, Coach Clarity. We'll continue on with segment four with Haley the Therapist from Traumagility. Dr. Sean Horn, um, she's a psychologist and just amazing on shame. And she's like, uh, I mean, Brene Brown and her are like the best at shame. Um, but she said, like, I find that shame is really confusing topic for people. They don't know what it is or what it looks like. And we talk about toxic shame with other words like people pleasing, perfectionism, low self-esteem, social phobia performance anxiety, inner critic, self-sabotage, eating disorders, addiction, but all of those are shame. All of those are learned behaviors. And so when we're talking about the four Fs, all of those have to deal with shame, which is something that we develop from pain. So you get rid of the shame, then you get rid of the pain. Wow. You know, really just plugging yourself into to resources that's going to allow you those opportunities. I think most people don't know who to seek out. Um, there's a stigmatism, I'm sorry to say, that comes with, with therapists where they mm-hmm. can do more damage than good. Um, you know, on that note, where do, that are like that. Well, so where do people go to find a good therapist? How do you identify somebody that's going to be able to help you work through something as minimal as shame? psychologytoday.com is a really good resource that I use. I don't, I'm not affiliated with them, um, but I, I love it because you can see the, the therapist profiles and you can see their pictures. Some of them even have videos up on there, like talking. So you kind of get a, a feel for, you know, what it would be like to, to talk with them and you can filter it by your insurance. You can filter it by um, the issues that you might be having, like relational trauma, like all different kinds. They've, they've got several on there. And then you can filter it by your zip code. And you can even filter it now. I love this, that um, a lot of them offer virtual appointments now too. So you don't even have to leave your home to do this. So those um, struggling with extreme trauma and that don't want to leave their home, don't want to go anywhere, they're able to tap into this from their own home yeah. using their own insurance. Yeah. Well, you look at, you know, just as of recent, we just, I mean, we just went through a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, people weren't sure if they were going to live. People weren't sure who was going to survive. And we're talking about children and adults. So the, the entire world has gone through trauma. Yes. It's now become higher than three out of four this, yes. last, this last year or so. Yeah. So I think having those resources and I'll, and I'll, um, attach the information that, that you provided on that. Are there any other resources that people could tap into? What I would say, um, kind of, I, I mean, you could always reach out to your, to your insurance company. They've got a panel of providers, but that doesn't really give you like a whole lot of, um, you know, 
insight into who these people are and what they do. So I would look at their website. So I'd look at your insurance and then look at the provider and then look at their website and then see what they do, see what types of modalities that they work through. And I would even call them and be like, hey, I've got this issue. Like, what can you do for me? And it's up to them to really describe to you what they do and how they can help you. Right. And if they can't help you, a good therapist would refer you to. I mean, we got a huge network of of therapists. Um, they would refer you to a, a therapist that could help you. But I think that's an issue that I think at, as a field we need to really grow is like, how do we put ourselves out there? How do we get trauma informed for one? Right. There's not a whole lot of trauma informed therapists out there. And I feel like there's a huge push for that now in the field. Um, so, you know, if you're a therapist listening to this, like get with the American Counseling Social so oh, the ACA, the American Counseling Association, get with your APA, um, like figure out like how you can, like, there's a whole bunch of trainings out there that are super cheap that you can really just hack into what trauma is. And you almost, <laughs> and it's almost interesting too like this field is going towards science so much that it's, it's almost like you have to have a medical degree to understand this stuff too so that's where like your interdisciplinary teams inter i can't say that word <laughs> interdisciplinary you can, can re-say that part if you want yeah this is where your interdisciplinary teams really come into play right your doctors your psychiatrists your massage therapists like get some um like sensory deprivation tanks going on, like the, like somatic healing, like this is just, we need it all. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sharing some of the resources that, you know, the community is going to be able to tap into. I know I've, I've spoken with people that are going, you know, I don't, I don't know how to find a good therapist. I don't even know where to begin or where to go. And, and are they going to label me as crazy and put me in a psych ward? You mm. know, and it's so sad that, you know, that human beings, because um, I mean, where I work, there'll be people, you know, on my team, my day job, and, and they're scared to go seek out help because they're scared of the repercussions and what, um, what's going to happen. You know, are they going to be shamed? Are they going to put them somewhere? And I've had some interesting conversations with some of these individuals and, you know, it, it hurts my heart yeah. that we don't have the information out there. Mm -hmm. for individuals to tap into when we're talking three out of four, 75% of people, and even higher this last year with the recent pandemic, you know, and, and that was, I mean, that three out of four number, that 75% number is just um, by parents and caregivers, by right? ages mm -hmm. of two to four. So, you know, when you, when you take a, a, you know, a child, children that are abused by a parent or a caregiver, 75% of them, according to the statistics, um, you know, you, you know, you, you have to hope that you've got, you know, one parent with a good head on their shoulders that's, that's going to identify the problem and pull them out and, and get them the help they need, or at least get them out of the, the situation. You're going to, you're going to hope that that's the case, but we're talking about 75%. Um, what is what is what does the relationship look like with the you know the adolescent as they you know as they get older they have questions mm -hmm. they want to explore things they want to know who they are there's this longing for things and so 
um, what does that picture look like? And um, I'm trying to get into an area that I just don't know if I know how to even ask the right questions because, you know, you, you have children, 75% that are abused by a parent or caregiver, according to the CDC. And you take those numbers and those statistics, you know, and, and, as, and as time evolves and, you know, you, you know, you get this child some help, you try to heal, you try to help them grow, adolescence hits, change starts to hit within their brain. Um, you know, you'll start, you'll start to see some, you know, things as a parent that you're, you don't know how to navigate. And I think really what I want to get into is how does a parent or a caregiver that's involved with a child that has been through trauma, how do they help them navigate things through adolescence and what types of behaviors and things are they going to see and what are, what are the effects in the community? Oh, I think you touched on a really important point. Okay. So if, and this is where we as a community really have to come together and we really have to like raise awareness, just like we're doing on this podcast, like with this stuff is we need eyes on deck at schools, school counselors, right? We need eyes on deck, like know who your kids are hanging out with. Don't just allow them to go over to some, you know, parent's house and, and you don't know them, like get to know who your kids know. Right. And I think that, um, you know, healthy community members that who aren't abusing our kids and, and there's a bunch of us out there, right? We're not abusing our kids, but we can help like keep eyes out. So if you see something, say something, right? And I think that's really important, especially because kids have, and you know, Dr. Phil says this all the time, is that kids like have this innate ability to just take on everything as their fault. They're broken, they're wrong they're unlovable like and that's so far from the truth right and it's based on their caregiver's ability to connect and to have that relationship and their own trauma and so we can't heal the entire world right but i think it starts with us what are we doing in order to um, keep ourselves healthy what are we doing in order to keep our communities healthy and what are we doing like if we see a kid who needs help are we ignoring them or are we asking questions? Are we trying to, you know, to get them help? And what ways can, you know, individuals and human beings, when they identify this, in what ways can they get them help? So 911 is always a resource, right? Um, if you feel like the child is in imminent danger, you can always call, call 911. You can call your local police station. Um, in the non-emergency number and say like, hey, I have a suspicion. You can talk to a therapist about it. We're mandated reporters. And so if we, you know, suspect something's going on, then we're going to investigate it further. Um, you can talk to the parents and get a feel for what's going on at their home. If you suspect something going on, like try and, and get involved that way. Um, but the problem is there's a lot of people out there that just don't want you in their business. Right. right. And so I, I think creating a, a, and here's how I do it. Right. So there's, we communicate as humans, mostly non-verbally. So it's not what we say, it's how we say it and how we speak it through our body. So if you have a non-verbal 
presence, a vibe people say, or like a, you know, a spirit about you, an aura um, that says, I'm warm, I'm inviting, you can come talk to me. Like, I know you have a very specific vibe like that, where it's just like, come talk to me about anything, right? And you create that warm, supportive environment, people will come to you naturally. Okay. So. I appreciate that. Um, you know, taking yeah, a look. There's no easy answer. Sorry for that. What? There's, there's not an easy answer for that. You know, I wish that there was. I wish that we could just like wave a magic wand and it'd all be gone. But I mean, we're facing some real issues here. So. Well, and it's, it's everywhere now. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, it breaks, you know, my heart as a parent. Um, the reality that our kids are living in. Yeah. I want to dive into adolescence now because hot topic, right? Um, mm. Wow. Teenagers, adolescents, junior high, high school kids. Um, Eight-year-olds are having sex in their <sighs> schools. 14-year-olds are selling meth. And this is just in Utah. Like, and it, it's a problem. It's a problem. Well, with adolescence, you know, you're talking, you know, almost every child that, you know, has been through some form of abuse. So um, you're going to see, you know, as, as you, you know, talked previously about, you know, the, the brain changing. So mm -hmm. let's talk about those neural pathways that you were talking about, the brain changing um, and, you know, hormones, friends, <laughs> peer pressure, what what are we going to start seeing in these um, these junior high, high school kids? What are what are we going to start seeing those that have been through trauma? And again, we're talking about seventy five percent or more. What are we going to start seeing uh, behaviors? You know, what are we going to when are we going to get into? What are some things that we can identify? Because I think oftentimes, you know, you have that parent that goes, "Oh, my kid's perfect." Well, they are. <laughs> and they were so, like just so perfect and they're a good kid but there's outside influences that affect them there's trauma that you know maybe unresolved that's affecting these kids and you've got a good kid and society is just putting so much pressure and, and, and weight and I believe social media as well so but I really want to dive into adolescence and how to navigate that as a parent as a school resource officer as a guardian at litem in a courtroom that's going I want to emancipate my parents. I don't like what my parents do. And I want to date this guy or I want to hang out with my friends and stay out later. I should have no rules. I should have no boundaries because those are the, you know, a lot of the behaviors that you'll see in, in teenagers. So let's dive into that a little bit more. And I'm going to let you lead the floor with that. Oh, a couple things come to my mind. Lack of discipline for one. <laughs> And effective discipline, right? And I'm not talking wall-to-wall -wall counseling. I'm not talking switches, but I'm, I'm, don't ignore your kids, right? Um, and that's what they're seeking. Like, I have a family member, and I won't dive into too much detail on this, but I have a family member who is really struggling with their, their teenage kid right now. And he, you know, here's my belief. I'll just start with this, right? Like, here's my belief. All kids are inherently good. All people are inherently good. 
we were not born evil. We're not born broken. We're not born like with these, like these narcissistic tendencies and, the, and these, these reactive, you know, emotional reactivity. Love that word, emotional reactivity. Um, we weren't born with this already like programmed into us. So it was learned somewhere, right? So if we look at the red flags of things, of like if they are normally outgoing and they start to be isolating, if they start to say one word answers and they're normally really talkative and you'll see these subtle behavior changes, it doesn't happen overnight. And you'll see it like right after the trauma happens. So something happens, something happens at school to like head their, hang their head down low or whatever. And unless you open up that conversation with them of, of that communication, they're not going to tell you unless they like really trust you because of that shame, right? Of, of that guilt of like, why can't I figure this out? And with hormones on top of that, like they already don't know what they feel. And it feels like chaos within them. Like if you, if you look back and think back to when you were a teenager and what you felt in those mood swings, oh my goodness, like <laughs> it was like a tornado inside of you, right? And so just, hard to navigate and juggle and so confusing and. And girls are mean. Girls are mean. Girls are mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in middle school, oh my goodness, like you're having so many changes. You're having so many questions. And I think um, in Utah in particular, like growing up there and seeing like, and, and being on the other side of it now as an adult, like we don't really talk about a whole lot of things regarding around sex, right? Any sexual changes, any type of like puberty changes. I remember the first time um, I learned about it was in a maturation program and I was like horrified <laughs> because they were showing me pictures. And I had like no buffer whatsoever. It's like, this is an STD. This is what it looks like. This is, and I remember like being sick, physically sick. And I had to leave health class because of it. And so like, I'm, I'm not the only one that feels this way. I, I get clients in all the time that, that are just like, even young adults there. It's like, man, my parents never had these conversations with me. Like I started my period. I started bleeding all over my chair. And like, I thought I was bleeding out and dying, you know? And so I think the more that we talk about being human and these mood fluctuations and these hormonal changes with our kids, I think the less, um, you know, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And you use power in order to grow. And it's a positive energy and it's a chance for you to bond with your kids too and have these conversations and build that trust and build that safety with them to talk about these things. And so when you're, you're dealing with these fluctuations and these like teenage angst years, I mean, it's hard. It's hard. I've, I've got one too. Like it is so difficult when you're trying to get the kids out and trying to get them like to have fun at a pool and your teenager is just sitting there and it's like, I'm so tired. Like, no, I don't want to go. The, the pool's too cold or it's too early or it's too like, but what's he really trying to say? at that point, right? I'm feeling something in my body. And, you know, by, by pushing that agenda of like, well, you're just going to stay here and you're just going to you know, suffer the consequences or whatever, you know, like the way that you know, some parents talk to their kids these days, it's just rough. Like, I think 
the times that I, I laugh the most is when parents come in to sessions with their kids and then they're like, I'm only here so you can fix them. And I look at them and I'm like, uh. oh, really? Let's start with you. Let's start with you. Uh, because that's where the majority of the, the issues lie. And I think, too, that there are, I mean, it's not one size fits all you know, approach to this. I think that there are parents out there that are phenomenal parents and you can do everything right and you can do everything in your power to just, you know, help your child grow and mature, but then something still happens, you know, and that's up to the child. They're their own person. They're their own independent and they have social influences. They have other parental influences. They have societal influences. You look at these celebrities and they're stick figures. And so these females that are growing up, they're like, oh, I, I have bad body image issues because this is what I'm supposed to look like. And that's all of that that I just described, shame. It's, it surrounds shame. And so the antidote for shame is disclosure. So the more that we talk about it, the less shame holds power and the more that you can just feel safe. Because if you feel shame, you don't feel safe to do anything. And if you don't feel safe, you don't grow. Wow. So true. Um, you know, you're looking at, you know, these, I mean, a lot of these kids nowadays that are, they're getting involved in the gangs, they're hurting other people. These are kids, these are kids. Mm -hmm. These are hurt kids, in my opinion, hurting other people, you know, robbing things, you know, stealing things. Um, no respect for anyone around them. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I've seen, you know, you know, children come from good homes, good backgrounds. And it's, it's been really sad to see some of the things that, that we're seeing now in today's society. And after taking a look at some of the statistics and just researching a little bit, it, it, it makes more sense, you know, as to um, why the numbers are so high with crimes, um, why the numbers are so high with, um, you know, children with STDs, um, it, you know, and I, I kind of wanted to dive in a little bit more and talk about some of these, um, some of these issues, some of the behaviors that are involved, because we're talking about some really aggressive behaviors, but the statistics with them are so high now that mm -hmm. it, it blows my mind away. Yeah. 40, 49% with some sort of mental health disorder that they're mm -hmm. finding in statistics. What, um, I think oftentimes two parents can be so blindsided because um, you know, you, you take a, a child, they come from a, a good home, and yet they, you know, have either two loving parents or one loving parent. Nowadays, it's, it's mostly single parents in society. And so you have, you know, a loving, involved parent that's involved, and, you know, the kid comes home from school, things seem normal, you know, they're spending time with you, you're laughing, you're functioning as a family, you know, and there's this picture-perfect look of, yeah, no, where everybody, you know, looks at this family, like, man, they just got it together. They're just the perfect family. But if you take some, some of the, the, the back picture here and you take, you know, a, 
a child, you know, who maybe was abused, and maybe that, that other parent's not involved in the, you know, single parent, we're talking three out of four kids, so we're talking about a pretty high percentage here. Um, you take a look at some of the, some of the things that you start to identify and some things that start to change that you don't realize, you know, or maybe, you know, are leading in, into more, leading into things like where maybe these kids go to attach, they come from good homes, go and attach to these gangs. You know, I had a friend that I worked with, you know, that had told me that came from a good home, high society family, money, had access to whatever he wanted, but yet joined this gang and was just with this rough crowd and doing these things that apparently you wouldn't, you know, think that would happen and developing these behaviors. And, you know, I'm talking about, and it's, let's take a look even with, with teenagers in school. And, you know, these, these older guys coming after our, our younger kids, it's another area and hot topic that we haven't gotten into that I was hoping to get into today because um, human trafficking is on the rise, especially with children. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to talk about what this looks like because from the statistics and things that I polled, children aren't necessarily being grabbed out of a back alley somewhere. It's, it's, it's happening within somebody's, it's happening within homes and it's happening with, you know, these adult predators, you know, getting involved with our youth, getting involved, um, you you know, seeking them out and it really is on the rise. These predators are really on the rise. In fact, actually, I have a question for you. How likely, or what are the statistics involved for somebody that has been abused to likely end up as a perpetrator later on in life, in their adult years, early adult years? It's really a topic to get into because we're talking about three out of four and then they grow up. Mm. Too many. Too many. Um, Because it's just transfer of pain. So if we simplify it, down right gangs abductions grooming for the kids what are they looking for love attention acceptance Mm -hmm. all of the above so if they are starved of that where are they going to find it they'll seek it out that's why they are so vulnerable for these types of things and that's why people who are perpetrators, that's, it's like they have a target. They've got a sense. They've got a spidey sense, right? And they are the ones that seek out these types of relationships because you can spot a codependent a mile away just based on the act. And remember when I said a lot of our communication is nonverbal? These perpetrators can go into a schoolyard scan and within seconds pick out the vulnerable ones why because they know what pain looks like they're in pain and they want to hurt others wow you know i used to work in a prison i used to work in a rehabilitation program down in in florida and a lot of Gosh, I would say the vast majority of them came from broken homes, like, and, and sought out 
gangs and peers and got into some trouble, not because they actually wanted to, but because that's what the malignant people around them were telling them to do. And if they were to be part of a community, they sure as hell didn't have one at home, right? They were going to do whatever it took to keep their family. And that was their family. And so you'd get these incredibly talented individuals. And, and in this particular prison, it was all males. So for the males that, that I worked with, I mean, they were just talented. They were manipulative, but they had some good qualities about them. And that's where I developed a belief of like, people are inherently good. They're not all evil. You know, they're just needing something. They're wanting something. They're craving something. They're screaming for something. What is that? Which is why we're seeing the extreme behaviors we're seeing nowadays. Mm -hmm. They're seeking it that much that it's winding them up in a place like juvie and prison. Yes. Wow, it's just, that's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, let's dive in and talk about personality disorders because, you know, with the neural pathways changing and the things that you mentioned there, let's dive, I mean, you've kind of briefly touched on different disorders, but let's actually go into um, you know, some of the different mental disorders and what they are and what those are going to look like and, and how we're going to identify this. I think this is so critical with the numbers so high that school resource officers, school therapists, um, parents, uh, friends, guardian items, the court system, I'm, I mean, I'm talking about everybody, everybody's so divided. So, you know, just some education here on the different disorders when we're talking 75% what we're likely to see and what are those symptoms of those disorders so let's go to to links first right what causes these disorders so like verbal abuse from parents have been um linked to personality disorders like narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, um, and then, you know, paranoid uh, types. And you have borderline personality disorder too, has a huge high connection to sexual trauma and so does narcissism. And like, I mean, I could talk for days on this, like sensitivity to like um, loud sounds can lead to social phobias in, in children. So like if you, if you throw around things, if you're a parent, like you might be, have like social anxiety and, and, and stuff like that. Like, and then genetics can play a factor in that too, right? Um, but I have a theory that like, especially for narcissism, I could talk about narcissism all day. Um, but I think that there are, you know, you've got the covert and the overt, but it's all based on, um, you know, insecurities. And I do feel like there are, you know, genetic narcissists and then there are trauma narcissists. And speaking specifically to the trauma narcissists that develop narcissistic personality disorder because of the trauma that they have been through because of the extreme invalidation in their environments. Um, there's, there's, a way to break this down into simple terms because the DSM-5, our diagnostic criteria is just like, so like you have to meet 
like, you know, at least five of the following features, or you have to meet like these, there's so many different symptoms, but let me just break it down into like very simple terms. So antisocial personality disorder, they have like a complete disregard for others. They don't care. They want to hurt people. Um, they're so hurt. They're, they're so numb. Like, it's like, if you ever meet an antisocial personality disorder, a true antisocial, you look into their eyes and it's like, they have no soul. Just look at the Ted Bundy, um, interviews. Right. And it's like, they talk about like death, like nothing. There's like no personality. And, you know, going back to brain scans and stuff, prefrontal cortex, like there's like no activity there. Um, so narcissism, like you have your coverts, which are like kind of behind the scenes and hidden. Um, that's based on extreme insecurity. Um, and then you have your, your overt, and that is more of your like malignant narcissist, your grandiose uh, narcissist, the, the narcissist that you typically see on like TV, like in Harry Potter, you know, like, <laughs> um, you know, Professor Lockhart or whatever his name is. And he's just like, oh, like definitely definite narcissist, um, which is funny, like side tangent. I've got ADHD too. So, but side tangent, you look at Disney, like they all come from dis dysfunctional families. And you look at the fantasy, like stories that we love to connect to, they all have dysfunctional families too, which is why we connect to it so well. But I digress. Um, and then you have histrionic and history like history comes from like your your uh your womb right and a lot of uh the hysteria you know that they talk about with the females like in the early 1920s like that's a thing um histrionic is more of a um outburst like uh extreme like excessive need for approval and so I always think of like Mariana and the Diamonds, her, her song, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, Prima Donna, like Prima Donna Girl. And she's like, and all I ever wanted was the world. And like, I'm going to swoon over everything and I'm just going to make it super dramatic. And I'm just going to like, because they're just trying to get a need heard. Like they just want to be heard. And then, you know, borderline personality disorder so is like an extreme emotional reactivity. Um, you have self-harming behavior, self-sabotaging behaviors. And in the most severe cases, like if you, I, I mean, I think that there's levels, there's, there's anxiety and depression. I think that there's, you know, um, PTSD, I think borderline personality disorders up here. And then like narcissism is right here. And then DID, a dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder. That's like up at the, at the top. So there's like different varying levels. And I always say like, it's based on intensity. So the intensity of the trauma is the intensity of your, your reaction. So if you have like these extreme reactions, you had an extreme, extreme trauma happen to you or, you know, there's a lot of studies about genetics too. So, but I think genetics, like you can rewire your DNA and then pass your DNA down to your kids. So I think like genetically, and I'm, I'm you know, there's a whole field of epigenetics, but um, genetically, I, I think that their trauma can be passed down. Wow. Um. 
I'm just absorbing all that. That was a lot of information to digest, <laughs> I think, for me and for our listeners. So thank you um, on that. You know, getting into, you know, the, these personality disorders, um, what age range are we likely going to see these personalities, these personality disorders develop after trauma? What should oh, we be looking goodness. for? Oh my goodness. That is such a hard question to answer. I have met a nine-year-old antisocial, uh, like murdering cats completely. Like you see these children who have been extremely neglected or extremely abused. And I mean, you can go on the internet and find like all age ranges, all age ranges. And so I really, I can't answer that accurately because it all depends on the person and how they absorb the trauma and what they do about it. And like I said, if you, if you absorb it and you hold it there, it's going to get worse over time. And so there are um, some cases too, where, especially in PTSD, where you would go through uh, very specific traumas and not feel the effects until years afterwards because you are so numb to what happened that your body just takes forever to process it. And so it really just depends on what you do. And that's why I say like, if you have a a trauma, like go to therapy immediately, find some safe outlet 